listening to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. You may be seated this morning, and I don't know about you, but just sometimes in worship, just get a little emotional. And today's one of those days, you're just sitting there and going, God, you, just thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us on the cross. I want you to take your Bibles today and turn with me to Hosea. We're going to be kicking off a new series starting today called Unbreakable Love for Unlovable People. And the story of Hosea is such an amazing story. One scholar says that outside of the crucifixion of Jesus, it is by far the greatest example of God's love for his people in all of Scripture. And I believe that. So as we walk through this, I, it's just an amazing book because the first three chapters really deal with Hosea and his wife and what's going on in their relationship. But it's actually an object lesson for God's heart toward his people. And ultimately for us, we can glean from this and see God's love for us through this book and how much he loves us, his inexhaustible, incomprehensible, just that unwavering love. And I don't know about you today, but I have felt that many times in my life, not just at salvation when he was pursuing me for salvation, but man, there's been days in my life where I just needed to feel God's incomprehensible love. Have y'all ever been there? It's just like, God, today I need you to show up and I need you just to wrap those big, amazing arms around me and just speak into my life your love for me. And through this book, you'll see that over and over and over. So I pray that this just not be, oh, they're going to go through a cool book. In the <laughs> No, I pray that God will absolutely just grip us with his love through this book. Now, this book is, is difficult. It has some very hard things in it as far as what God is using as this object lesson. But man, it's so amazing just to see how he works. So today I'm just, I'm jumping in. We have a lot of ground to cover. And so I'm just going to try to cover it the best I can, as fast as I can. But I don't want to miss a moment for the Lord just to work in this room. I don't want to get so fast. It's like, God, slow me down. Pull me back if I need to. So read with me. And today I'm actually reading out of the King James Version of the Bible. I just like the words. I like the phrasing. It has a little more weightiness to it to me uh, in this passage of Scripture that I'm preaching in today. So if it sounds a little bit different than what I normally use, I'm, I haven't fallen off the wagon. I'm just using the very old version. How about that? Chapter 1, the word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, I just want to stop there because I want to kind of jump into this historical setting of this. So Hosea was a prophet in the northern kingdom 750 years before Jesus was born. 
750 BC, he was, he was a prophet to that nation. And, and just when it says in the days, we know that that means it's like in the historical setting. So he, he names these kings from the southern kingdom, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So in those days, the nation was divided. You had the southern kingdom, Judah, and you had the northern kingdom, Israel. And he was working, prophesying in the northern kingdom. And so the northern kingdom was where 10 tribes, southern kingdom had two, Judah and Benjamin, and the southern kingdoms where the Levites were. Uh, the northern kingdom had the other 10, Asher, Dan, Ephraim, Gad, Issachar, Manasseh, Naphtali, Reuben, Simeon, and Zebulun. Here's the reason they split. Because a lot of people go, well, why is there two, why are they divided? It actually goes all the way back to Solomon. Solomon had this just overwhelming infatuation and was smitten with foreign women. Women who were idolaters. His first wife, Nama, was the daughter, she was an Ammonite. And he, she was the mother of Rehoboam, his first son. His second wife was an Egyptian pharaoh's daughter. And just to add injury to insult, to be the wisest man, he decided to get 700 more wives and 300 concubines because two wasn't enough. And so what he did is he disobeyed a strong statement from God in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 7, God told them, not no Israel Jewish male should marry a foreign woman, a strange woman, as Deuteronomy says, idolater. So they were forbidden to marry, but he, in all of his wisdom, decided to do that anyway. And in his disobedience to please his many wives, he decided to build altars for their false gods so they could worship them. Kind of see the picture already? There's a problem stirring already. So Josephus, first century Jewish historian, says this, not only did Solomon support the worship financially, but he also indulged in worship with those gods. Just three of them that we hear about all through Scripture. Ashtoreth, he was the, she was, not he, she was the deity of sex and fertility. And then you had Chemosh, pagan son, god of war that was worshipped by the Moabites. And then you had Melech, the evil deity that was the Ammonites. And we know Melech specifically because that's who people would, would what? They would sacrifice their children to Melech. And so here's God's man, God's king for his kingdom is now worshipping these false gods with his wives that he was forbidden what? To marry. So what he did in order to build these elaborate temples for these ladies, he taxed the people more and more. And God warned him in Kings, he says, Solomon, if you don't stop this, I will, the word used, rend the kingdom from your hand. I will take it away from you. And sure enough, when Rehoboam came on the scene as king, he was advised to lower the taxes and to turn back to the, the one true God, but he didn't. He continued to raise the taxes. There was a revolt, and Jeroboam revolted against Rehoboam, and that's where you have the two 
different kingdoms. Southern kingdom, and then you had Jeroboam in the northern kingdom. And anytime there's a divided nation, you have to believe there's a divided heart. So the result of the division was, guess where they had to worship? Jerusalem, which was in the southern kingdom of Judah. And so every year as they would travel down to worship and do the feasts and all the observances and have the Day of Atonement and all that, the people from the north would have to travel to the southern kingdom. But because they were rival kingdoms now, Jeroboam decided, I'm going to build temples in the northern kingdom because if they go to the southern kingdom, they may not come back. So he built two temples, one in Dan in the far north of the northern kingdom and Bethel right at the southern border of the northern kingdom before you go into the southern kingdom. And in those temples, they worshiped false gods. So you can see the hearts divided. Not only are God's people divided, but their hearts toward God are now divided. So they have these divided hearts. But then when you have a divided nation and you have divided hearts, if you read in scripture all through these minor prophets and even in like Ezekiel and Isaiah and all those, there becomes this destructive desire. And during this time, the nation was very prosperous. They had everything they wanted. They, as I've been told my whole life, they were eating out the big end of the horn. They had anything and everything that they wanted. Kind of reminds me of where we live today. And so they were very prosperous. And because of that, they turned away from God. And they began to worship false gods. Now, we know that any time we take our eyes off of him, this is the kind of thing that happens. And it's easy to read this story, it's easy to read Hosea's story and to see God's brokenness over his people and go, those stupid people. But when's the last time we looked in the mirror and said, God, we're doing the same thing. We step out on God all the time. We find our affections toward other things. We are looking at other things and we're desiring other things. And God is like this forethought. It's like, I'll catch up with you later, man. And everybody in this room has experienced some time in your life where you like wanted to be with somebody, especially when you're in high school. You're just like, man, I want to be hanging out with this person. And you're all excited and they just come out and are like, yeah, man, I'll catch you later. It hurts. Now, some of you guys ain't going to say that because we're all tough and you got your feelings hurt by your buddies. We turn our affections away from God. And God refers to it in the book of Hosea as spiritual adultery. Strong, strong word. In essence, God's people were playing the harlot and prostituting themselves out. And so God, in his omnicompetent self, has a plan. And I want you to pick up with me in verse 2. It says, The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land have committed great whoredom 
departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, what a name, which conceived and bare him a son. So I just want to stop there, kind of cover this part, then we'll move on. God's divine plan in an unlikely marriage. As you read through this and you really start doing research, there's a lot of scholars who try to, try to kind of get God off the hook, if you want to use that term. They're like, oh, that's just a metaphor. That's really not what it means. Other people say, well, you know, he married her. She became a prostitute later. But I'm of the belief of what the word of God says. And the words plainly says, God said, go take you a wife of harlotry. Why did he do it? Because God wanted to use this as an object lesson to see that God's people are playing the harlot. And ultimately his love for them. So there's this really weird plan. I don't know that any of us would have come up with it. Because you have the preacher Hosea, whose name, by the way, means salvation, literally means a beacon of light. So here's a prophet traveling through the northern kingdom. One of the most famous people in all the kingdom is going around preaching God's message to God's people. And he's doing this. His name means salvation. He's a beacon of light. And God says, hey, Hosea, I got something for you. Go marry a woman of harlotry. Now, if you read through Scripture, God has always asked his servants to do some wild things. I mean, Isaiah walked the streets naked for three years. Jeremiah walked the streets with a yoke around his neck. I, I'm just going to tell you, if somebody comes walking down 64 tomorrow with a yoke around their neck naked, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> we're going to be like, call the police. This guy's off of his rocker. Then Ezekiel, think about him and this guy. He was told to preach to a valley of dead, dry bones. He was told to tunnel under a road and show how they would be um, defeated, the nation. All these wild things that God tells his servants to do, but never nowhere in Scripture is God told a servant to go and marry a prostitute. And if I'm Hosea, and I don't know about you, I don't always just want to readily obey God. I mean, there are times where I'm like, God, I know you're the biggest, baddest man. You, God, you're just speaking. It happens, but I got to sit down for a moment and have a talk with you. And this would be one of those times where I'd be like, God, how in the world am I going to explain this to everybody? Do I take her home to my dad? What do I do? I mean, put yourself there. Man, you're following God. You're in the latest Bible study. You're here on Sunday. You're serving and God just says, look, hey, hey, this is what I want you to do. It's like, God, man, no. I know some of y'all probably told God no before. Usually don't turn out too well. He usually always, he wins. But I'd still have to have a conversation with him. And then you have this unique lady, the prostitute Gomer. So notice what he does in three. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. So he did what God told him to do. So he has to go up to this temple, this pagan temple where all this is going on, and he has to take a wife of prostitution. 
What's amazing is many people try to explain it, but it's just what the Word of God says. Now, we know very little about Gomer. We don't know much about her life. We know that her, da her dad's name means raisin cakes, which is what they offer to pagan gods. Her name, which wildly enough, means complete. At this point, she's not complete, okay? But that's what her name means. It goes somewhere. Her name means something through this whole picture. But here she is. We don't know much about her. And I think we would all have to say anybody in this room is what? Because we're all about like, God, we want to glorify your name, right? Everything we do, God, we want it to bring glory to you. And so you have to wonder what glory does God get asking a holy man to marry a hoochie? What glory does God get by putting a preacher with a prostitute? What glory does God get by wedding a pagan in promiscuity? What glory does God get by putting together wretchedness and righteousness? And I love what Dr. E.K. Bailey says. He has a message called The Preacher in the Hoochie. You ought to look it up on YouTube. It's worth your time. And this is what he says. God has no intentions in subjecting divine wisdom to the short-sightedness and flawed approval of human appraisal. In other words, it's not for us to know. This is God, and he can do as he pleases. So then you move on, and it happens. Like immediately, God tells them to have children. So as you pick up in verse 4, it says that she bare a son, and the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel yet for a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel, and it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So here's the first son, Jezreel. His name means God scatters, and it also means God sows. It's kind of a backwards and a forward look. Backwards meaning that Israel will be punished for the sins committed in the valley of Jezreel by Ahab, and then ultimately for the murder of Ahab's family by Jehu. He's going to avenge that. But then forward, it's looking at after they're all scattered, God himself is going to sow them back in the land. God will bring Israel back together in the land that he says. And so Jezreel's name, God scatters, but God sows. Can you see the discipline of God, but then the mercy of God? In just a name. And here's the cool thing, is each one of these kids' names meant a message. So every time their names were spoken, can you imagine? As he got older and he's running around town with his friends, Hosea or Gomer comes up and is like, God scatters! <laughs> it's like, Dad, could you have named me anything but God scatters? I mean, any name would have been great, Dad. But Jezreel... And then the next one, the daughter. She conceived again in verse 6 and bare a daughter, and God said, Call her Lo Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. I will, take, I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow or sword or battle, but by horse, nor horses or horsemen. So her name means no mercy. How would you like that name? right? You're at school, 
used to when they called you over to loudspeaker. It's like, no mercy, come to the office. Everybody's looking at you. It's like, man, your parents are nuts. Who would name their kid Lo Ruhama? I mean, that's dumb. But the name meant something. Her name applies to Israel only and is literally a withdrawal of God's compassion on Israel. I bet she didn't have many friends. Can you see her parents, like these kids' parents? Like, Mom, can I go spend the night over at No Mercy's house? Like, no, she's crazy, her family's nuts, her mom's a prostitute, and her dad's a wacko preacher. <laughs> you cannot go over there. So God just continues. So here's another son that comes in the picture. Verse 9, God said, call his name Loami, for you are not my people and I will not be your God. How would you like that name? How would you like to every time your mom called that name out that it was telling everybody in the northern kingdom that you're not my people? What a message. Israel no longer had to claim as God's people. It's a picture of God's rejection of them. Why? Because they were worshiping other gods. They had turned their nose up at the one who brought them into the land in the first place. They had everything they wanted. They were living the dream. So they're just worshiping everything but him. So can you imagine that? Every time your kids' names were spoken, it was a message of despair. And so God just continues to work through this story. And just for the next few minutes, and I'll hurry through this, is I want to kind of give you an overview out of chapter one of what the whole book's going to probably be about. It's 14 messages in the book. Every chapter is a message. Every chapter is God's message to God's people. So number one, I want you to think about this, Hosea's message to Israel. It's a message of punishment, ultimately, why? For spiritual adultery. And what a strong indictment that God has laid out about his people. And this is not language that is usually used throughout scripture that you would literally call your people harlots. Or you would say, my people are a bunch of prostitutes. That's not how God defines his people, but they had gone so far into idolatry that that's how God felt. That was God's heart broken toward his people is that they had walked away, they had stepped out on him. And so through the book, as Pastor Kidd and I go through it, you're going to hear these kind of things. My people are lying, killing, and stealing. The more they have increased, the more they have sinned. These are literal verses they set up kings, but not by me, right? They made idols for themselves. And the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stop, and they have played the harlot against their God. I don't know about you, but you can't read the book of Hosea without thinking about this nation and even the church today. Is the more the church has gained prosperity, the more the church has gained power, the more the church has gained a platform, the more the church has turned away from the one true God. We worship everything but him a lot of even on Sundays. And God's just, I believe his heart is broken over his people going, please turn back to me. If you don't, this is what happens. Now the amazing thing is, is we know that in God's word it says that his goodness is what brings us to repentance. 
Man, you can just, as you read through this, even in the hard passages, you can still just feel God's love in this book. So I'm just gonna go ahead on limb and say that God is serious about his people. I'll tell you something, God's serious about you. This is not just about Israel. This is about America. This is about Warren Community Church. God loves you and God is a jealous God and God is serious about you. And when you start prostituting your affections away from God toward money, toward things, toward everything else, God is serious about his people. And I'm gonna tell you something, you can't cover it up. You can't cover it up by doing more good deeds. You can't cover it up by, by signing more events to happen. You can't cover it up by adding a zero to your check because God ultimately doesn't care about any of that. He wants your heart Amen. and he wants your worship. And I know people right now that just have said, hey, you know what, man, I'm prosperous. I got things and they've stopped serving God. The things of God is like, man, if I have time, I will. If, I, if I'm not too busy, I will. And don't believe for one minute that God's not going, hold on a second. So his, his message is ultimately, what I think we need to feel here more than anything is the pain that God feels when his people prostitute themselves out for the things of the world. The whole reason God told Hosea to marry Gomer was so that Hosea could feel the pain that God felt over the people of Israel. And so, can you not see that? Can you see the hurt that he felt when his people walked away? I hope you can. Can you see his eyes as he looks with a broken heart because he know, you no longer have him as your first love? And I want to tell you something, I don't want to just talk about a historical person or a historical time. I want this to be real in this room. Can you literally feel the pain of God's heart because he is no longer your first love? And you say, well, like, Pastor, who in the world are you to tell me that? Because over the last week... If you could have been watching as a fly on the wall, you would have seen me laying in my floor going, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry that I've let ministry become before my time with you. God, I'm sorry that I've let everything else become more important than my time with you. And I think we all have to sit back and evaluate ourselves and go, God, what am I stepped, what have I stepped out for? And God, when did you not, or when was it that you were not my first love? When did that happen? So his message, it is, it's a punishment for spiritual adultery, but it's also a message of redemption at a great cost. Not to give too much away, but what we see in this, as the book unravels, is that Hosea will go through great hurt and pain and despair, but his love never wavers. He loved Gomer. And you'll see that in two, you'll see that especially in chapter three. And we can see that Israel hurt God 
that they literally broke his heart. But we can see from Hosea to the cross is that you may break God's heart, but you can never break his love. Dr. E.K. Bailey says that. He says, you can break God's heart, but you can never break his love. And I think that right there is like shouting material in the room because we've all broken God's heart, but praise God that he is love. He don't just display love, he is love. And you cannot break his love. And that should be something that every one of us are willing to say, God, thank you for, is because God, no matter how much I can be the prostitute, no matter how much I can be the hoochie, God, no matter how much I run from you, I may break your heart. God, you may look down and say, if you don't turn back, I'm gonna have to punish you. But I've never once broken his love in my life. So redemption comes at a high cost. Gomer leaves, Hosea goes after her. And you'll see that unfold over the next couple of weeks. But I can see God as Israel put him through all these years of wavering and waffling over their exclusive relationship with him. And listen, he has every reason. He had every reason to erupt and annihilate them off the annals of history. He could have done that. He did it one time. He could have done it again. So he did instead, he, he redeems them. Guess what he does for us? He redeems us. And God said, listen, I'm not going to do this with bows. I'm not gonna do this with swords. I'm not gonna do this with horse or horsemen, but I'm gonna do it with my love for you. So redemption comes at a high cross. And it's a message of blessing through great mercy. Because we can sit here today and be thankful that God's mercy holds back God's wrath. Go with me to verse 10. It says, yet the number of children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass, and in a place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them often, you are the sons of the living God. Here's the thing is God may replace pity with wrath for a season, but he will never disinherit you. If you're saved today, you're his people. You are his children. And so he, he loves us and God has shown mercy to us today, if you think about it. When he could have destroyed us, he instead showed us mercy. Right? There's a, there's a song, if you ever listen to Gaithers, there's a blind man that plays piano named Gordon Moat. He sings a song called Mercy Walks In. And the first verse is talking about I stood at the courtroom. <laughs> I forgot the words. <laughs> Says the judge took my case. Says, son, you are guilty. What do you say? Says, I said, your honor, I have no defense. But that's the moment that mercy walked in. And then the chorus goes like this. Mercy walked in and pleaded my case. Brought to the stand God's saving grace. The blood was presented that covered my sin. The moment 
when mercy walked in. Can I tell you something today? We should be thankful for the mercy of God in our life. God cares enough about us not to disinherit us, not to destroy us, but to send mercy in our place. And so that's the message. But then quickly, Hosea's fulfillment in Christ. On the cross, the unwavering holiness and unrelenting love of God are joined. Hosea goes and he buys Gomer back, and we'll talk deeply about that in a couple of weeks. He goes back and he buys her at a very high price. And I love what First Peter says. He says, it's not by silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus that we've been bought with the price. It wasn't silver, it wasn't barley. God bought us back through the sacred blood of his son, Jesus. And so we see his holiness and his love joined together at the cross. We see God saying, yeah, I can't, I can't be around sin, I can't look at sin, so what I'm gonna do for you is I'm gonna put your sin on my son and he's gonna shed his blood for your sin so that holiness and love can come together and you can be brought into my family. It's a beautiful picture. And I think sometimes we just need to step back and look at it and go, God, you're right. He has redeemed us from all of our filth and all of our shame. Man, it's amazing. How did this happen? It's not a theory. It came together at the cross. This is where this happened. This is where God came and stretched his son's arms open as wide as they go and says, I'll buy you back at the highest price. And it's him. Church, I think it's time that that moves us. That's not something of old. That's not something we can say, well, you know, 50 years ago, man, when they talked about the cross, everybody could say, no, we should always be excited about the cross and what Jesus has done. And then on the cross, the perfectly faithful identifies with the perpetual unfaithful, which is us. Jesus is the righteous son, and ultimately we are the harlot. I know you don't like to be called that. It's like, who do you think you are? We're all something. We're all X something, as Dr. E.K. Bailey says. All of us have a past. All of us came from somewhere that we're not proud of. But Jesus came and bought us with the price. And it's because he is faithful. He is the one who does it? We love other gods at times, or we have loved other gods, and we have gone and chased those other gods, and we have poured our affections on those other gods. But instead of God pouring out his wrath on us, he poured it out on his son, and he gave us grace and mercy and love. And so, God, as you look at this, Jesus, in a sense, represents those three children. Real quick, Jezreel means the place, or it's the place that the blood shed according to the past passage. It's the place where Jesus' blood is shed. Where at Calvary? He, his blood was shed in our place. Lo Ruhamah. He sheds his blood, but even greater than that. Listen, he found no relief for mercy. You remember in the garden? Father, if there be any other way, 
please let this cup pass for me, but not my will, your will be done. And when they got their hands on him, there was no mercy on our Savior. They treated him worse than any criminal that has ever been treated in the history of mankind. They spit on him, they plucked his beard, they hung him naked, they beat him to where he was unrecognizable. He received no mercy. Why did he not receive mercy? So that we could. And there's the picture. And then lo and me, you say, how does this happen? How, how do we gain entrance into God's favor? It's because for a brief moment, God had to turn his back on his son because of our sin. That's how we enter in. And this is all the things that Jesus was willing to do for us on the cross. And then the other thing, last thing, Hosea's assurance for us. I'm going to get through these quick. One, God loves us eternally because of Christ. So what do we do? We rejoice over his love. All of us are in the unlovely crowd. Everybody in this room, you, you have been part of the unlovely crowd. This is what I love. As I said a minute ago, as E.K. Bailey says, you can break God's heart, but you can't break his love. He says, no sin can lead you to a place where the love of God can't reach you. Listen in here today. I don't know how you come in here. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how deep in, the, in the, the miry pit, how deep in the hog pen you are. But I know one thing, that God's hand is not too short that it cannot reach you. It doesn't matter how you walked in here. You can say, man, I'm ready to give up on my life. Everything is falling apart. But man, there's a hand of God that can reach down to the lowest part of your life and lift you up out of there. And God's love for us is not just he feels sorry for us so he's going to get us up out of a pit for a minute. It's eternal love. So it'll be for eternity. We should rejoice over that. And then God changes us entirely because of Christ. We strive for God's holiness. And a disclaimer, we fail often. But what I love is God loved the harlot, but he had no intention in leaving her that way. And even though she turned back, he didn't give up on her. He sent Hosea after her. And he's done the same thing for his people, Israel, and he does the same thing for us. And so we, we strive for that. Why? Because Paul said in Romans 6, you are in Christ. That's a beautiful thing. They said, I'm in Christ. And even though there's times where my affections turn away from God, that does not remove me from being in Christ. And so we strive and then God blesses us exceedingly because of Christ. We rest in God's provision. I mean, it should, like, that's a really good thing. Think about it. Remember when we said that the punishments that Jesus took, no mercy, no, not my people, that Jesus takes those punishment. He identified with Israel. He identifies with us. It's an object lesson that we see and we'll see over and over. In other words, if Jesus identifies with the curses, he endures the curses. He gets the blessings as well. If Jesus gets the blessings as well, the Bible says that we're joint heirs with Jesus and that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. 
So God has everything we need. Now, I'm not talking about a new car. I'm not talking about the next good job. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about whenever you feel low, whenever you feel full of shame, whenever guilt sets in, whenever the enemy comes and tells you that you're inadequate, there's a God in heaven who has everything you need that stands us up and says, hey, you are my child and you are mine for all of eternity. That's what the provisions are. Don't get caught up in like, man, I'm going to sign this big note and God's going to pay it off. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what you need to walk as his child. And so think about that. We should rest in God's provision. So in closing, everything that we need, there's nothing that we need that Jesus did not win on the cross. He has it. If you say, man, I need hope. Jesus won hope on the cross. Today he said, I need peace. Guess what? He won peace on the cross. I need strength. He won strength on the cross. If you're in here today and you say, I need the mercy of God and the grace of God and the love of God. He, he, he displayed it and won it on the cross. And so I want to close by saying this is just a small glimpse small glimpse of God's unbreakable love for unlovable people. Like for two minutes, I just want you to listen to me, please. I don't know where anybody in this room stands. But I do believe that in a room this size, that there are so many hurts and struggles. There's people mixed up. There's people far away from God. There's so many things that are going on. And just as God told Hosea to go get Gomer and buy her back, and just as God spares his people and shows love to his people Israel, What Jesus did on the cross shows us this incomprehensible love that even though we feel what we feel, we can't imagine that anybody would love us the way he loves us. And if I could grab you today and you tell me what's going on, I could show you, just look at you in your eyes, I would say this to you. That God loves you. And that may sound like, we hear that all the time, no, listen to me. The God that spoke in galaxies appeared. He loves you. Feel the weight of that. Feel the weight that no matter where you sit in this room today and where you are in your life, that God loves you. And what does that mean? That means that God does not want to leave you where you are. That means he wants to rescue you. That means he wants to help you. That means that he wants to go before you. I was reading in 2 Samuel 5 this morning, And it is said that the Lord goes before us and breaks through like water against our enemies. Can you imagine today, whatever it is the enemy has put on you, whether it's shame or guilt, if it's addiction, if it's it's adultery, whatever it is, there's a God in heaven that has already gone before you and broke his love through like waters by sending his son to the cross so that you could be forgiven. 
And so why do we just sit every Sunday and go, man, I'm tired of feeling this way. When God is going, hey, I'm here. I love you. Just bring it to him. You do not have to carry that any longer. You can be forgiven. You can be restored. So I'm just asking you today, as the band comes, will you let God bring you home? If you read in verse three, and again, I don't want to give it away, but chapter three Hosea just simply tells Gomer when he buys her back, he said, I'm taking you home and you will be my wife and I will be your husband. And I believe that that is a picture of God saying, just let me bring you home. And what I love about God is God's not going, I told you so, I told you you shouldn't have ever done that. I told you that if you did that, that this is what was going to happen. You know what God does? God says, I forgive you and I forget it. And I lavish you with mercy and grace and love. And he picks us up and he tells us, let's go forward. So today, I don't want to miss a moment in this message for you not to respond to what God wants to do in your life. And so I want you to think about that just for a moment as I pray. Brother Ken's going to come, the band's going to sing, but listen. If you're Gomer... Hosea's paid the price. All you have to do is come. Say, God, forgive me. Father, I do not know and do not claim to know what anybody in this room goes through. I can only speak for myself and tell you, Lord, that it is a daily battle. And God, I have to be intentional about my affection toward you because if not, the enemy can come in and sweep it out. But God, I know in a room this size, there's need. I know in a room this size, there are some gomers. I know in the room this size that there are people that have prostituted their affection out, God, toward everything else and forgot about you. I know there's people in this room don't serve you like they used to. Don't worship like they used to. God, they've replaced it. But God, I love it because your goodness brings us to repentance. And so in this room today, God, I just pray that we would be obedient as a people. And that God, if you speak to the hearts of somebody in this room, God, that they would listen. And God, they would respond. And God, we want to glorify you in all of that because it's never about us and nothing that we have the ability to do. It's only through you. And so God, take these few moments that we have left and God, do only what you can. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stay in the day. If you need to come and pray, we're here. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.